0: Again, let me say before we get started that whether you're here in the building with us, and we're excited that we can be together again, certain conditions, and or if you're watching on Facebook, that we are worshiping together, and we want to make sure you you feel that, you understand it, is that uh, last time I checked, which was just a few minutes ago, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, which means He's here. And he's at home at my house, as my wife is watching, and he's wherever you happen to be. And so I want to just uh, continually remind you and remind ourselves that uh, it's not the ideal way, but God is uh, sharing with somebody this morning, even God is using this and has used it and will continue to do so. He didn't stop being God. He didn't stop being our sovereign, holy father. He's in control. And we love him, and he loves us and, and we trust him. So again, whether you're here in the building or you're watching us on uh, worshiping with us on Facebook, uh, we're grateful that we can be together. A couple of things we're going to be doing this, today is kind of um, um, remembering and celebrating At The end of the service today, we're going to honor our, our graduates, our seniors this year as, as they move into new phases. Uh, tremendous time in their lives. We're going to do that at the end of our service today. But I want to start today, before we get into God's Word, being Memorial Day weekend. And uh, many of you know I'm a huge fan of anything to do with World War II, as far as watching documentaries and videos and reading. My dad fought in World War II in the Pacific, and I had an uncle that was wounded in uh, Europe. And uh, World War II, the whole, everything behind it, both philosophically and everything that happened uh, uh, fascinates me, and and reminds me of how special uh, those men were. My dad lied about his age to get into the, the Army Air Corps. I think later on he wished he hadn't done that. But uh, I'll tell you a quick story about my father and and it's really interesting. My like me, I I am terrified of snakes and items like that, uh, rodents of, of any kind, whatever they might be. Well, my dad, I didn't know that until later on in life. When we, uh, near the end of his life, he, was, he would start talking about, he would talk to me about World War II, and he'd never done that before. It's a city fought in the Pacific, and he was terrified of that kind of stuff. Well, they, had, they allowed, in the islands they were on, they allowed the iguanas to wander freely because they ate the mosquitoes. And my dad was in his tent one night, and of course they had the netting up, and and they knew my dad was terrified of those things, so what are you going to do? Uh, Boys being boys, my father was 17, boys being boys, they got an iguana and placed it on my dad's chest as he slept. And uh, needless to say, I won't tell you what he did when he woke up, but uh, I'm thinking, man, uh, you you look at, for example, D-Day. When you look at those at Normandy, those young men piling out of those ships uh, onto that beach, those beaches, Omaha and Utah, just piling onto those beaches, realizing that there's a significant number of us this is the last day we're going to be alive. And yet we're going to do it for our country. Uh, it's a special place that we live in. And on Memorial Day in particular, we remember not just those who served, and there are so many of those continually, even now, but those who gave their lives and are still giving their lives so that we can live in a free country, in the greatest country that, that God has ever placed and blessed on this planet. So what I want to do before we get into God's word, I want us to take a moment, and I want you just to think about people you maybe you know that are in the service, whatever branch it might be, but also think about those that have given their lives, and then I'm going to pray and we'll get into God's word. So let's bow our heads for a moment. Well, Lord, we do pause before you as the eternal, self-existent one, our, our Father, our God. And Lord, we simply want to thank you for being God. But particularly in this moment, we want to thank you for all the men and the women who, through the years, in the history of the United States of America, have given their lives so that we can be free. We thank you, God, for blessing our nation. And pray we would never forget who you are and never forget those who have given and are in the places now where they could give their lives dangerous areas because they're Americans. Lord, we thank you for who you are and pray you would use those memories even in our lives to encourage us to be Americans who love you and surrender to you and follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, take your Bibles and or your devices and turn to the epistle of 1 John. First John, not the gospel, Go back to the back of the back of your Bible, Revelation, just back up a little bit and you'll run into first John. If you'll take your hand out, you notice last week we began to look at this particular attribute of God that we're looking at is God is love. God is love. We talked about last week. It's probably the attribute that everybody likes to quote the most because everybody wants a God who loves them and everybody has a different idea of what that means. And we talked a lot about that last week and we're not going to go over that territory again. But it's also the most misunderstood. Because we don't understand it from God's perspective so often, we simply want God to be loved from the way we want him to love us. Simple example. This week, one of the greatest Christian apologists of our generation, our time, Robbie Zacharias died. And I've read every book Robbie Zacharias has ever written. I've listened to him many, many times. I've seen him in person three times, and he's a true was, and he's now in the presence of his Lord, and somebody texted me that he had died, and, and, and my immediate response was Well done, good and faithful servant. Now Robbie Zacharias was not a perfect man, and he made mistakes. That's the beauty of understanding who our God is, is that he loves us in spite of what? Me. He loves me in spite of me, and he uses me in spite of me. And so what I want us to do, we began last week and this week and probably next week and maybe the week after, I want to make sure we understand biblically what does it mean when the Bible says here in 1 John 4, God is love. Not the way we want it to be And in reading things people were saying, Ravi Zacharias There are always people who want to be negative and get into uh, uh, different things and apologetics. And what what I noticed about the negative folk, where they simply were looking at everything from their point of view and what they wanted as opposed to what God says about himself, about our universe, about what does it mean to the fact that there is a God and that he loves us, it's such. So, mis- so misunderstood. So, as we look at this attribute, one of the things you're going to notice, if you'll take your hand out, last week we began with number one, God's love to us, and that He gave His Son. We looked at the fact, the idea of the little phrase, born of God, that, that divine nature, that when I come to Christ and accept Him as my Savior, God gives me a new nature. I'm born with a nature to sin. We're all sinners. If you don't believe that you're born with a nature to sin just ask somebody somebody that knows you somebody that's around you a lot uh, with mary and i spending the last two months together almost all the time you learn things about even though you've been married 46 years you learn some things i learned that my wife can cut hair that i went through this week and i said look Told you week. I said, either you're gonna cut this back of my hair or what's around my ears. We ain't worried about it on top because there ain't any. But what's around my ears and the back of my neck, either you're gonna cut it or I'm going over to the best house and let her cut me with the dog shears. So she managed to trim the back of actually she did a pretty good job. So now I know she can do that. There's no longer any excuses. Like she knows I can do dishes, so I no longer have any excuses. So one of the things that you're going to discover as we're looking at this again is that we're born with the nature to sin. We looked at last week, God also, in, in the process of me being born again, like Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. In the process of me becoming born again, God gives me a new nature, the nature of Jesus Christ, the nature of righteousness. He declares me righteous in Christ, not because Randy's a good guy, but because Jesus Christ was the divine sacrifice in my place he is the propitiation. We talked about that word. The, the satisfied God's demand, God placed his wrath on Jesus so that I could be set free, so that I could be redeemed, and I could be declared positionally, I'm a child of God. So as we sit here today, as we worship together in Christ as believers, we have that nature. We are, look at 1 John 4, 7 again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God that's really what we looked at last week, that we're born again. We are his children. One of the things you're going to notice as we walk through this idea of God is love from 1 John 4, just a few verses, but here's what you're going to see. And I want you to bear with me. John is going to say several things repetitively. You're going to hear it several different times and in several different ways, John's going to say the same thing. And that's really important when you're studying a a passage in Scripture we call it exegeting that passage that you notice how the Holy Spirit led the author to say what he was saying using their personalities and differences. All scripture is inspired, but Paul was not the same person as John was. John wasn't the same person as James, and James wasn't the same person as one of the prophets. But God inspired scripture. So as you read it, we talked about John last week. His term, his, how he described himself was the apostle whom Jesus loved. And by that, what he meant, and and this is one of the things I want you to take away from understanding God is love, is that he was absolutely overwhelmed with gratitude that Jesus could love him a sinner. That's what we need to understand, is that when the Bible says God is love, it does not mean, we will see this several times, that's why I'm saying bear with me, because he's going to say it several different ways, the same thing. It does not mean love is God. God is love. He defines love, but does not mean love is God. In other words, I choose to love the way that I want to, and then I want God. My mindset as a a human being, many times our mindset is, I love that person, therefore it is right, and God is in it. But God defines what love is, not me. And so what I want to do as a a believer, as a Christian, is love love talked about agape a lot last week, that highest form of love, that Greek word, that unconditional, sacrificial, love of the will and not of feelings, because feelings can come and go. When you've been married 46 years and you've been in the same house for two months, sometimes you don't feel loving. Sometimes your wife says, why don't you go outside and shoot basketball for about four hours? You don't always feel The same. Agape love, Christ-like love, is choosing to love when you don't feel like it. So, as we walk through this, bear with me, and I think when we get through, I hope what happens to you is what happened to me, sitting in my little office at home and studying this for the last three weeks, is how overwhelmed I was by my daddy. His presence, and the power that he holds, and yet he says to us, You are my child, and you are the highest form of everything I created is you. I love you. I want you to trust me. That's the theme of scripture. The righteous, those that are in Christ, God's children, live by faith. So We'll talk about that as we walk through. So take your hand out and look under point number one. Last week we talked about the deep... We talked about, excuse me, the divine nature. Second bullet point there I want you to see under that point number one is this deep relationship. Look at verse 8. He does not love, does not know God, for God is love. The end of verse 7, who's born of God knows God. So the idea is this, to kind of use a trite saying. It's, it's been around for years. Randy didn't make it up, but I will use it. So hang with me. You'll have to write this down. It's deep, so you can poise. No. No love, no God. If you don't have love, you don't really know God. No God, K-N-O-W, you know God. No love, N-O, no God involved in your life. No God, K-N-O-W, no love, you'll know God. Again, simple example. What's the highest form of love that's ever been expressed from one entity to another? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. All of you know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? He gave the second person to the Trinity, his only begotten son. The only one who is capable of loving that way. The unique son of God. So God gave God, the father gave God the son to us. And as we sit here today and as we worship together on Facebook and wherever we might be on the, on the planet, where's the Holy Spirit? Everywhere. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God so loved us, he gave himself. Jesus made it clear. He said, I choose to lay down my life and I choose to take it again. I die and I will raise, destroy this body and in three days I will raise it up. I am the omnipotent God. Before Abraham was, I am, on and on. You could quote scripture and, and go into Philippians. and What I want you to see as we walk through this is not only how much God loves you, but what does that mean? And the ultimate application of that is God's command to us as his children is what? You love others the way I loved you. We talked about last week, after Jesus washed the disciples' feet in the upper room, he then said what? Now, wash mine. Is that what he said? What did he say? If I've done this, you do likewise. Do the same. You love each other the way I've loved you. You may not feel like doing that. Do it anyway. Why? Because that's what love, the highest form of love is. is choosing to do what's right for the other person, even if they don't reciprocate. Even if you don't want to. Even if you don't think they deserve it. Did you deserve grace? Did you deserve Calvary? Did you deserve the crucifixion? No. But God loved you anyway. And he did it anyway. So this idea of knowing God, Jesus said to his disciples so many different things probably one that we've all heard in our lives, throughout our lives, and resonates in a very special way as you think about this. Jesus said, other people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. Not if you tolerate each other. Not if you put up with each other, but if you love each other. In other words, if you're genuinely interested in, in the best for the other person, no matter what, no matter what, you genuinely want what's best for the other person, even if that person hates you, even if that person is out to get you, you want God's best for him or her. Romans 5, the Bible says this, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We'll talk about hope later, but the hope that we have as believers is what carries us on a daily basis. We'll talk later about 1 Corinthians 13 again. At the end of that, which says faith, hope, love. Now we buy these three, faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these is love. We have, because we are in Christ, because we are his children, because we're born again, because we know our eternal destiny, because we have peace and joy in the midst of turmoil like a coronavirus pandemic or whatever it might be, we have hope. I've said it many, many times, and I I thank God years ago, someone taught me this definition. Every funeral I do, I share this verse that I just read with you. We have the love of God poured out in our hearts, so our hope does not disappoint. I can hope that I'm going to inherit a million dollars from somebody, but that's probably not going to happen. I'll be disappointed if that's my hope, right? But the love of God is poured out in my heart by the Holy Spirit, Gives me a hope that does not disappoint. You know what the word means in Greek: confident expectation. I know whom I have believed. Confident expectation. I know that absent from the body is present with the Lord. I know that. My hope is not a fairy tale wish. It was over at my one of my granddaughters her house yesterday and she just started driving and she has good parents who are already in the process of providing her an automobile so I had to explain to her that I didn't get an automobile you know know how you used to talk about you you know when I was a kid so I'm a senior in high school I rode a bicycle everywhere I went basketball wherever I wanted to go I had a job I rode a bicycle everywhere I went First car I had was of a freshman in college. My dad gave me a car that lasted one year and then fell apart. Fortunately, by then I had married, and we bought us a, a brand new car. We were so excited a nineteen seventy three Gremlin, <laughs> maybe the worst car ever made. And so I was telling her, you know, I didn't even really have a car till till we got married. I was a sophomore in college. Just be glad your dad has something. For you. Well, when you're a fifteen year old girl, you want what? You want a cool car. I want a cool car like mom drives. I said, You're not riding a bicycle? She said, Oh grandy, that's stupid. I said, Yeah, but that's the way it was. That's the way it was. I want a lot and I hope for a lot. And she's hoping to get sometimes you get disappointed. With human hope, please don't miss this principle. What we have in Jesus Christ, the love of God that's poured out in our hearts, notice the verb, by the Holy Spirit, will never disappoint. Other people will let you down. Your career might let you down. You might be disappointed in what goes on in our economy, physically, in your own life. But you will never be disappointed by the Holy Spirit. You will never be disappointed by the love of God because we confidently expect God to come through. Why? Because he's God. He's always come through. He always will. Here's the, probably the most salient point as we move to the next one up to now. God does what he's going to do the way he's going to do it. I do not tell him what to do. It's so important to understand that principle because a lot of theologians and preachers don't understand it. They think you can tell God what to do and he will do it. No, no. You, in prayer, seek his will and then go do it. Why? Because he always comes through. He does not make mistakes. That hope does not disappoint. Now, the end of verse 8. He who does not love does not know God for God is love. There's that phrase. Everybody loves to throw it around Everybody likes to preach on it, whether you're a liberal or a conservative theologian. You can always preach on God as love and make it say whatever you want to. Years ago, I saw, used to, when we used to take the papers, it was years ago, and, and, and around Easter, they would put sermons in the paper to read. And they put this lady's sermon in the paper, and the sermon was on John 14.6. What does that verse say? No, oh, I'm, I'm ashamed. Nobody knows what John 14 Jesus said, I am... The way, kind of like Marty Fife doing the Law Man's Creed. Jesus said, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, but by me." So she proceeded through her sermon to explain what Jesus really meant by that. Needless to say, she didn't have it right. It's pretty simple. Jesus said, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me." What does he mean by that? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody's going to come to the Father but by me. It's pretty self-explanatory. You want to see God, you have to go through whom? Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is God. He is the great I Am. He defines love because He is love. Look at verse 8 again. God is love. God is the way. God is truth. God is the way because He is truth. He is life because He is truth. So if I want to understand love, I have to know God. It's His nature. Everything God does, we've talked about these attributes as we walk through them. He's all of these things simultaneously. We're, as finite human beings, we can't grasp this, the fact that he's infinite. The next attribute we're going to look at is that he's immutable. We can't understand those things because we're infinite, we're finite and we're flawed, but he isn't. So everything he does, and love is the way God manifests as we see with us. We have hope. How do we manifest it? By loving people. How does God manifest his holiness to us? How does God manifest his sovereignty to us? How does God manifest his immutability? How does God manifest his omnipresence, his omnipotence, his omniscience? All these attributes that we're going to look at and have looked at. How does God manifest those to us? He loves us. Same way we manifest it to others. So everything God does is out of his nature. He's love. He's the origin of love. He's the source of love. Whether it's creation, he loved us and gave us creation. He loved us and sent Christ. He loves us and indwells us. And one day he will love us and judge us. Everything is done out of love. The Bible says God only gives good and perfect gifts. God is just not good. For example, if someone you know or or met someone maybe that you weren't close to but you knew and they pass away, a lot of times you hear people say he was a good man. He was a good woman. She was a good woman. It's a high compliment. That's what you mean by that. God is just not good. He is goodness itself. That's who he is. Even when we don't reciprocate, he never stops loving. He never stops doing good on our behalf. Blessing us. Giving us hope that will carry us forever. Giving us joy in the midst of difficulty. Because he is goodness itself. He is love itself. Everything he does. It's so important, and I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time with this, but you see some of this in the original language. Notice that it says there in verse 8, God is love. Okay, in English, we see God is love. In Greek, there's a thing there called the definite article. Not to get into great detail. But the definite article, when you see that in the original language, in the Greek language, in Scripture, the definite article means God is love and he's the only one who is love. So the definite article means what? There is no other. It's definite. He's the only one. So as a husband, again, Mary and I have been married for 47 years. In August, we've been married. And so even if she's cutting my hair and not doing it right, at least she's doing it, and I appreciate that, and it, as we joke about and talk about different things. And if I want to be a better husband or if I want to be the best husband I can be to Mary Lockley, who do I have to know first? God. Now, as, a, as someone who's who's not a Christian, they do the best they can. They can be altruistic and try to be a good husband, try to be a good wife, and many do. But if I want to be the ultimate husband to my wife or the ultimate wife to my husband, I need to know God through the person of Jesus Christ because he is love. He is love. And what I will discover, the closer I get to Christ, and I use that triangle when I'm doing premarital counseling, I'll put the husband and the wife at the bottom of the triangle and put a cross at the top of it, and I'll tell them the closer you get to Christ, what happens to you? You draw it in your mind, you get closer to each other. The closer you get to Christ, the closer you're going to get to each other. That's what it means to love. I'm not near as pretty as I was in 1973 when we got married. Now, Mary is, but I'm not. But Mary loves me more now than she did when we met in 1970 and started dating. Why? Because we've grown spiritually. Please get this principle, verse 8 again. God is love. It does not mean love is God. God expresses himself to us by loving us. Lamentations 3. I know that's a book you read all the time. Who wrote Lamentations? Quick. Ooh, ooh. Those masks are hard to talk to. Who wrote Lamentations? Jeremiah did. In Lamentations chapter 3, the Bible says this. Though the Lord's mercies, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great. Is your faithfulness that great hymn of the faith? Great is thy faithfulness. That's the idea. I love to get up early in the morning and I I get up earlier than than Mary. I, I get up about the time the sun's rising and I love to just sit and watch in the backyard or out, even out in the front. I just love to watch a new day unfold because scripture reminds me that every time a new day unfolds, what's God reminding me? I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I love you, Randy. I'm here for you. I'm going to carry you. I know your back's killing you, but I'm going to get you through this. I'm going to get you through this. Why? Because I'm faithful. So what's Jeremiah saying? By the way, Jeremiah needed to be reminded of this. He had a tough life as a prophet. No response. We talked about it before. 50 years he preached the word of God. 50 years without one positive response. That'd be a little depressing, wouldn't it? But, and he was honest about it, but he persevered. He persevered. God used him, uses him even to this day. You read that verse, though the Lord, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. In other words, grace and mercy are the two sides of the same coin. God shows us grace, gives us something we don't deserve. Mercy is he doesn't give us what we do deserve. Who do you give it to? Jesus Christ at Calvary. He took that wrath that should have been mine. Why? Because God's mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness does not fail. He loves me. God is love. A deep relationship, knowing God. And the idea in Greek, look back at verse 7 again, the end of it. He knows God. The idea here in the original language is it's not intellectual assent. It's not intellectual assent. Again, very important principle. The word here, there's four number of Greek words for K-N-O-W. but The one here means it's perceived truth, not intellectual assent. In other words, I can say to you, I believe that there's a God, but this word "know" means I know that God. Beyond intellectual assent, it's I'm in a relationship with Him. He's my Father. Give me an example. There's a group of people, particularly over the last ten or fifteen years, that have become well known in in scientific circles. They're called uh, Intelligent Design folk. They're not Christians necessarily. They don't approach it from a Bible point of view. They approach the universe and analyzing it scientifically from just objective point of view. And they believe, again, not, they don't necessarily believe the Bible. By and large, they don't. But their response is, after studying the universe, is that it was designed by somebody. Intelligent design. So they understand that the universe was designed or created they know that. What do we as Christians know? We know not only did God create the universe, or we, not only do we know that there was someone who created the universe, we also know what? Who it is. Because he's our daddy. See the difference in that no? I can know a set of facts. I believe creation screamed somebody made this. I can understand that set of facts. But when I surrender to the God who created it and become his child, I know the creator in an intimate, personal way. That's what he's talking about here. Knows God. Not doesn't know about God. Knows God. We personally as Christians experience, I'm just talking about in my life, the creator. About, I don't know, a week or two ago, we're sitting in our driveway at dusk. Beth and, and uh, the the girls had come over, and we're just, so they're in the car, and we're sitting in the driveway talking, and and sun's going down, it's getting dark, and it was a clear night, and Emerson, Beth's youngest daughter, and I looked, both looked up at the sky at the same time, and we said, look, you could see the Milky Way, It's just a rare event inside a city, and you could, what well, it was clear, you could see it. And just another teaching moment to say, yeah, just, just another reminder one galaxy out of untold numbers that our God spoke into existence. Simple reminders. Those of you with small children, as you watch them grow, we got to spend a little time with our seven year old granddaughter last week and just watch, we haven't seen her in two months, just watching how she's changed in two months how much taller she'd gotten, thinner as she's gaining in height, how her, her vocabulary, things she's saying, just in two months. Human beings are not just something else that happened to come along in the evolutionary scale. It's not even logical. When you, when you know another human being, you understand how special they are to the God who made them. Because only human beings are created in his image. God is love. He gave us the rest of creation, mentioned in a moment ago, as an act of love for us. Now, we've managed to mess it up in many ways, but he still gave it to us, didn't he? Because he gives what kind of gifts? We quoted earlier good and perfect gifts. That's all he gives. All right, let's go to point 2 on the handout. Cover part of this. We're going to stop for day. We'll close out in a special way. Look at verse 9. We've seen God's love to us with that deep relationship of the divine nature. Now I want you to see in number 2, God's love for us. Verse 9. Verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God had sent his only begotten son, there it is, into the world that we might live through him. First thing I want you to notice about God's love for us is that he gives us eternal life. We're glad about that. Everybody wants to go to heaven when they die. It's only possible because God made it possible through the eternal gift of Jesus Christ. God gives us eternal life. Notice the two phrases that are used. If this love of God was manifested toward us that God had sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live Through him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So the two things I want you to notice about God giving us eternal life, number one, it's through Jesus Christ, through him. But then after you're born again, you are his child, you live for him. So many evangelical churches, unfortunately, only focus on the first one. That through Jesus Christ, we can be saved and go to heaven. By the way, that's really good. I find myself on a daily basis a number of times throughout the day just thanking God that he saved me. Because I know me. And he saved me anyway. Through Jesus Christ, I'm given eternal life. And then we kind of stop there. Kind of have the mindset. Okay, I know I'm saved. When I die, I'm going to heaven And then I'm going to go ahead and do my life. And if I need God, I'll let him know. Eternal life begins the moment you're converted. Whatever your time is on planet Earth, yes, it's just a dot on the line. But we live for the line, not the dot. That that line of infinity, eternal life. So God says, through Jesus Christ, I give you eternal life. Now, I want you to live for him your time on the planet to glorify God or point God, others to God to see Him so that they too can have eternal life. Notice verse 9 again. Because God is love, coming out of verse 8, context, God is love in this. Because He is love, the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent His only begotten Son. Because God is love, context, He reveals that love. We talked about earlier, He does things. He reveals his love to mankind by sending Jesus Christ in this, in this. And in the context, the little phrase in this means, keep reading, that he sent Jesus, manifested toward us. It's such a beautiful word. He said, in this, the love of God was manifested. Manifest means to make something public. Please don't miss this because it's so beautiful, the context in this, what he's about to talk about, God manifested the fact that he is loved. How did he do it? By sending Jesus his only begotten son. By the way, that's that Greek definite article idea again. How many of sons are there like this one? He's the only one. It means he is the highest of all. He rules over all. He's the only begotten son. He sent him to be the propitiation. Now the word manifested means he made that public. Now, I want you to Take a step back in time with me for just a moment and see historically how this happened. Where was Jesus crucified? At Calvary. The hill called Calvary, Golgotha. It was a public thoroughfare. The Romans crucified people on the hill, on a public thoroughfare. It'd be like Germantown Parkway or Poplar. So what? When you drove by and you saw people hanging there on a cross. You said what to yourself? You drove by in the Roman Empire as you walk by, whatever, as you went by and you saw people hanging on a cross in the Roman Empire, it said to you what? I'm not messing with the Romans. They're serious. I'm not fooling with them. Publicly, they displayed Jesus Christ as a common criminal. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, quote, publicly triumphed over them in this. The word manifested, made public. God publicly displayed his love by allowing God the Son to be beaten, scourged to where his vital organs were exposed, the crown of thorns to be spit on, to be mocked by people he created. He allowed that to happen because he loves us. He allowed himself to be crucified because he loves us. Publicly, they thought they had won. But then three days later, he rose from the dead and he conquered sin and death, publicly triumphing over them in this, his resurrection. That's manifested. He made it public and made it evident that he loved us by dying for us. By dying for us. Hebrews chapter 10 puts it this way. The law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, the Mosaic law, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. The Day of Atonement. In other words, on the Day of Atonement, when they did the sacrifices in the Holy of Holies, in the Mercy Seat, in the Ark, of the, on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, it could not atone for sins permanently. It had to be done every year, manifested. The idea is the opposite of hiding something. The Ark of the Covenant, the Day of Atonement, the Levitical priesthood—they were shadows. Hebrews tells us. But Jesus was the substance. While we're in 1 John, look at chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 2. Excuse me, chapter 1, verse 1. John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested. There's the word. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that that eternal life which was with the Father was manifested to us. Same thing he says in John 1 in the prologue. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Manifested. The eternal life of God the person was publicly made evident to us. And John said we were eyewitnesses to that. Remember Peter, James, and John were with Jesus at the greatest moments in his life. They were there. We were were eyewitnesses to it. It was made evident. Look at chapter 3, verse 5, You know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. See, Jesus said this is the new covenant in my blood as opposed to the old covenant in the blood of animals. It's a brand new game, and he made public his love for us. By shedding his blood for us. Now back to verse 9. Manifested toward us. See that little phrase? Toward us. Means it's very personal. Very personal. God loved you as an individual. Me as so much. He manifested that love through Jesus Christ. Toward us. And by the way the tense of that is. It's It's aorist tense. A definite moment in time has happened. How long has God been love? Forever. Eternally. He is love. But at a definite moment in time, Aries tense, he manifested that love. When Jesus, when God became Jesus. He's always been the son. Unto us a son is born, Under us a child is given. Born. The son was given, the child was born. He's always been the son of God. He stepped into space and time and became Jesus of Nazareth. Definite moment in time, God manifested his love into the world. He sent his only begotten son. Sent him, the God-man. Sent him from heaven. You, you, You read the Gospels, you listen to Jesus Christ. Repeatedly, over and over and over again, you'll hear him say, I was sent from heaven, I was sent from above, I was sent from the Father. Over and over and over my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is a heavenly one. Sent from God. Sent from heaven. To bring you the kingdom. To fulfill the plan. Galatians chapter 2. The Bible says this. And then we're going to close out today. Galatians 2. Philippians and Second Corinthians. So Paul writes to three different churches these words. He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, gave himself for me. So the last thing I want you to see is the, is the last phrase in verse 9, through him, God the son, through him. Because here's what I want you to see, we talked about it a lot of different ways today, but I want you to see this as we close. That with, through him, God gives us life. John in his gospel said, it's the reason I wrote that you could have life, you could know Christ and have life in him, everything I wrote. And the books of the world couldn't contain it if it was all written down, John said. Through him, what God is saying to you as an individual is that's how much I value your soul, is that I will die for you. I value you and your eternal destiny, your soul, so much, I will die for you. And offer you the escape from eternal death. It's the greatest gift ever given. It shows you the depth of the mercy of God and the grace of God. That he loved you that much. That's how special you are. As I told you earlier, if we walk through this, you're going to see the same thing said several different ways. God is love. And he manifests that love to you through the person of Jesus Christ. So you know, I'm not only saved, I want to live for him not for me. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we just want to take a moment and pause before you as our Father, our God, who loves us, gave himself for us, sending the person of Christ. I pray, Lord, as your children, as Christians, we can just meditate on that. Think about how special you say we are, Because you sent Jesus to be one of us. Nothing else. He became a human being to die in our place. You loved us that much. I pray it would motivate us to understand God is love. Not love is God. That you define it because you are the origin and the source of it. And we would live that for you. So Lord, even as we close out our time together today. Thinking about how special our graduates are. We close that time together that we would realize what a special time in their lives. And we could even be part of that by praying for them. We just thank you for the Lord and pray. We'd love each other the way he loved us. We pray in his name. Amen.